Good morning and welcome once again. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here. It is our privilege to have you with us as we've gathered together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're beginning this morning a new sermon series in the book of Acts. This sermon series will carry us through for a long time. We will be here for over a year. We will take a couple of breaks along the way, just in case y'all get a little bogged down in that. We will take a little bit of a summer break. We will take a Christmas break. But we will complete this experience through the book of Acts. As in this book, we see, we learn, we discover exactly how it is that God not only founded His church and commissioned His church, we're going to see how we have those connection points between the church of the first century and the church of the 21st century the way that the ministry that God called them to looks a lot like the ministry that God has called us to, and the way that in all of this, God continues to be at work through His Holy Spirit to bring glory to Himself as He saves souls of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. As we work diligently here at Malvern Hill to see our community redeemed in the name of Jesus, it is my hope and prayer that the book of Acts will help us to be propelled forward not only more urgently, but more empowered as we pursue relationships with the Lord, and we pursue fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and we see God work in all of those things to change the world from right here in East Camden, South Carolina. Having said all that, if you have your Bible, we're in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. I'm going to read to you, beginning in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while they were staying with, excuse me, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up. And a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that we wouldn't be caught staring into the heavens, Lord God, when you've, ca- when you've directed our vision to the fields that are ripe unto harvest. Lord God, I pray that as we study your word, that it wouldn't be merely a lecture, but God, it would be a command, a direction, a mission to be accomplished so that men, women, boys, and girls would be redeemed from their sin and set free upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. Open our hearts and minds to hear from you, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. I am very excited to preach to you this morning. I've been awake since 5 a.m. and 10.30. Couldn't get here quick enough. I've had a lot of coffee, and it should be an exciting time together. My primary goal this morning, in addition to proclaiming God's Word faithfully, is to finish in less than an hour. So we will see if we can accomplish all those things. I am so excited not only to preach this sermon, I'm so excited to preach to you all from the book of Acts. I believe that this book, I don't just believe, I know that this book is powerful as it shows us exactly how it is that God not only founded the church and commissioned the church, but how he worked through the church. And y'all, how I believe he's going to continue to work through his church. If we will seek him with all of our heart, if we will be, be obedient to the commands that he's given us. And so this morning, we launch off into this book of Acts. Now, we, we settled on a subtitle there as the mission remains. That's difficult. Because when we think about what the book of Acts is all about, it's all about so many things. What is the purpose? What is the goal? What are all, it's all wrapped up in there. How do we even title the book? Do you know there's controversy? 
Should it be the acts of the apostles? Should it be the acts of the Holy Spirit? Should it simply be acts? Believe it or not, those are not (laughs) captured in God's Word. We just have a title that has historically been applied to it. What is the purpose of Acts? Does Acts exist as a book to show us what the church does? Does Acts exist as a book to show us uh, uh, the importance of missions? You know, one of the things that you're going to see over and over as you work your way through the book of Acts is the importance and the necessity of preaching. Perhaps no book in all of the New Testament emphasizes preaching as much as the book of Acts. And yet, when we talk about the book of Acts, we usually talk about everything but preaching. Why is that? Because a lot easier for us to talk about all the other things than it is for us to talk about a word that stands over above us and expects something of us. Acts chapter 1 could have been broken up probably into six or eight different sermons. I resisted the temptation to do that because I told you I've already got more than a year's worth of sermons laid out. And if I divided this one sermon into three or four, we'd have been in a mess. What is the book of Acts? The book of Acts is written by a man named Luke. Luke, we don't know a ton about. We know that he was a doctor, potentially a Gentile. He was the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. The book of Acts is Luke's second book. Luke's first book, of course, is the Gospel of Luke. The best way for us to capture the introduction of the book of Acts is actually to go all the way back to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And there we read this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered, to, delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. He says that in Luke chapter 1, and then in Acts chapter 1, he says in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. You see, we have the same man writing to the same man. Theophilus, we believe, to have probably been a Gentile aristocrat, a man of some standing, perhaps a political figure. And Luke has written not a story, but a history, an historical account of all that Jesus did in his life. And then I love the way that he says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. He says, uh, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Do you understand that Luke's gospel doesn't capture all that Jesus did? It captures the beginning of the ministry. In the book of Acts, we see the continuation of that ministry that Jesus orchestrates through his Holy Spirit. What do we know about Luke? We know that he's a man who longed to clearly communicate the truth about Jesus. He said, I have compiled the evidence. I've tried my best, Theophilus, to give you something not to make you feel good, but something that you can hang your hat on. He says, Theophilus, as best as I have been able to, I've compiled the sources and I have given to you an accurate historical accounting of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is historical truth. The book of Acts presents the birth of the church and it proclaims the mission. And so this morning... With that introduction out of the way, I want to ask you this question. What is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? In some ways, it's captured for us right there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Here in this passage of Scripture, there are three things that jump off the page that are wrapped up in what it is that the church should be about and how it is that we would go about fulfilling our mission And the first thing that the church must be about in its mission is the church must exist to fulfill Christ's mission. The church must exist to fulfill Christ's mission. The disciples asked a very key question in Acts chapter 1 verse 7. Excuse me, verse 6. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now I want you to keep in mind, Jesus had lived with these men now for three years. Jesus had been crucified in front of them. They had seen Jesus crucified, dead and buried, resurrected, and now he's living out his ascend or excuse me, his resurrected life before their eyes. Repeatedly Jesus has told them that his kingdom is not of this world. And yet these men could not get over their preconceived notion of what Jesus came to do. And so they look at him and they say, Jesus, now that you've overcome death, hell, sin, and the grave, is now the time that you will set up the the new kingdom of Israel and we will assume our rightful place as rulers alongside you. 
Yes, that's all captured in that one question. Jesus, is today the day that I get my badge? Is today the day I get my title? Jesus, is today the day that we finally put all those Romans where they belong and we sit upon our thrones? A quick reading through the book of Acts, you might not recognize that Acts 1, 7, and 8 are actually a rebuke from the lips of Jesus. He says, it is not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Jesus is today the day you set up your earthly reign and Jesus doesn't even answer their question. You know how infuriating that can be? Y'all ever do that to your kids just for fun? I do. I'm not going to lie. What are we having for dinner today? Tell me about your day at school. Right? Can I have that? You know what I saw yesterday? I love to do that. You didn't answer my question. No, I did answer your question. I answered your question by ignoring your question. The answer I would have given you directly would have not made you happy. So rather than deal with the answer, we're just going to move on and pretend like that question didn't happen. Jesus is the day the day I get my special seat at the table. You know what? We're not going to worry about that. The Lord's got, the Father has all that taken care of. But you, what you're going to do is you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And then they're like, they're scratching their head going, whoa, whoa, hold on now. No, no, we thought we had this other thing worked out. Folks, do you understand that the mission of Christ's church is Christ's mission and not our mission? The church today continues to struggle with whether we will build Christ's kingdom or our own kingdom. Whether we will have Christ's priorities or our priorities. Even after three years of teaching, preaching, and discipling. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The apostles didn't get the message. And folks, I'm going to tell you, sometimes 2,000 years later, we still don't get it either. They said, Jesus, are you going to do that thing that we wanted you to do? Are you going to do it right now? Folks, do you know that the mission of the church is and must remain the mission of Jesus Christ and the mission of Jesus Christ alone? That's why we here at Malvern Hill say that we exist to love God, love others, and change the world. Folks, there are many things we can do. There are many things that we will do. But everything that we do do must, must submit under the greater authority of what Christ has commissioned us to do. Let's talk about some of the things that are coming up on our church calendar. There are a lot of things, right? we got a church-wide barbecue. It's going to be fun. We're going to raise some money to help pay, pay, pay for this new building that we have to build. Just a side note, give money to the building fund. Um, just, just real quick. Because as we're trying to fulfill the Great Commission, there were, listen, there were 15 second and third graders this morning over there. I walked through, I, I ran out of that building. I didn't want to know what was happening. I was scared for my life. We need more space. If any of you can write a fat check, you don't even have to tell me about it. Just drop it in the offering plate and we'll appreciate it. Um, 15 second and third graders. Y'all, for those of you that didn't put all that together, that's Sloan. 15 Sloans. So, but there, there are a lot of things. So we're, we're going to have a church-wide barbecue. That's great. It's fun. If you've never been a part of it, it's, it is. It, our, our folks really enjoy A lot of people really have a good time with that. It's good. We're going to have a, a, a women's uh, discipleship event coming, on, uh, coming up in a few weeks. It's good. It's wonderful. They're going to they're actually talk about Jesus. It's good stuff. Our teenagers are going to go to youth camp this summer. It's good. It's great. It's really good stuff. Our children are going to children's camp. It's great. We're going to have vacation Bible school. We're going to have mission trips. But folks, do you know that the one thing that matters in all of that is Jesus' purpose for his church? You see, if all of those things don't exist to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ, then they shouldn't exist within his church. The church is not a political action committee. The church is not a political platform. The church doesn't exist but so that we could, we could do all of those things. See, Jesus' mission is not ethnically centered. Jesus' mission is not political. Jesus' mission is not economical. Jesus' mission is not even of this world. Have I ever told you all the story I made a political joke and it got me in a lot of trouble? I was young and unintelligent. And uh, 
It was I, literally, it was before I came here, so I was, I was really young. And, and it was a joke. I promise y'all, it, meant, it was intended to be funny. But I made a political joke. And there was somebody in that congregation that day that did not find it funny at all. See, it turned out that that joke, unbeknownst to me, was made at the butt of that person, of her. She walked into my office two days later and she closed the door and I said, well, she's either fixing to give me some money or I'm in a lot of trouble. And she didn't write me a check. And she said, young man, let me explain something to you. And she proceeded to explain a lot of things to me about what I didn't know about her and what I didn't know about her voting record and what business I didn't have doing this and what place I didn't have doing that. You know what I learned in that moment? You see, that, that day, I talked about the mission of Jesus that night. It was a Sunday night. Do you know she didn't hear anything, though? Because she got so wrapped up in something else that she missed the message Folks, the message of Jesus Christ is, is, is Him dead, buried, and resurrected. And if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in everything else that we miss the mission. Folks, we get to do a lot of things as Christ's church, as a part of the overflow and the outworking of the mission of the gospel. But we can never mistake the things that we do for the mission. The mission has to be central, and that mission is this. Go and make disciples of all nations. Everything else bows under the weight of that commission. Everything The church exists to fulfill Christ's mission. I don't know what your, your hobby horse is. I, I know what mine are. There are a lot of things that I think that y'all should do as human beings. Right? There are a lot of things that I'd love to talk with y'all about. There are a lot of things that occasionally I think our church should do. But do you know what? I've got to always come back and say, is this Craig's mission or is this Christ's mission? Folks, I'm afraid that we're allowing many things in the culture outside of the church to drive us to focus on a mission that is not the Great Commission. We've got to fight against that because we're called to fulfill Christ's mission. What is the mission of the church? Number one, fulfill Christ's mission. Number two, proclaim the message of Christ. Now, I know that these seem to overlap a little bit, right? But just work with me for just a minute, right? The mission has to be focused not on me. So let's, let's just get there. The mission isn't about me. But the, the message is what we proclaim. It is the message of Christ and the gospel. Jesus' commission in Acts 1.8 simply says, Be my witnesses. Acts 1.8 goes hand in hand, as we've already said, with the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name baptizing, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When Paul explained his preaching of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he explained the gospel this way, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Do you know that the message of Christ is both history and theology? The message of the gospel is history before it's anything else. Let's talk about the historical aspects of the gospel. Watch. Paul says that he proclaimed that Christ died. That is history. He died in accordance with the scriptures. That too is historical record. That he was buried. That is historical record. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is historical record. There is only one theological statement in all of that. And the theological statement is this. Christ died for our sins. The theology explains the purpose for which Jesus died. But folks, do you realize that 90% of the gospel message does not depend upon anyone's interpretation? 90% of the gospel message is nothing but raw historical fact. Only the most out there scholar ever attempts to suggest that Jesus did not live and die. They may seek to say that he was not resurrected from the dead, but they cannot present any evidence to support their theory. 
Folks, do you understand that if the grave of Jesus could be identified and somehow with some sort of, of magic, magic miracle of science, they could 100% confirm that the DNA of the person, of the bones in that grave belong to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Do you realize that we have no religious affiliation any longer? Paul says, if in this life only we have hope, then we above all people are to be pitied. If Jesus is not resurrected from the dead, there is no Christian hope. We stand confident in the historical facts of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. The theology... The things that people want to argue about, it's 10% of it. Why? Because we're only living on the interpretation. That's where we're, we're hitting. No, no, we're only living. That, that's what we're arguing about is exactly what do these things mean. There are lots of things that I get excited about and many things that I enjoy talking about and teaching about. But y'all, the message that we are called to proclaim is the gospel Period. Jesus says in Acts 1.8 that you will be my witnesses. What is the mission of the church? To be a witness for Christ. What is a witness? In a legal sense, a witness is a person who's observed, who has observed an event and then is testifying to what they observed in that experience. Jesus said you will be my witnesses. Jesus says to these disciples, remember initially the apostles of the twelve that have been with him, Judas has killed himself. They're going to appoint another apostle in just a couple of verses to replace Judas. This is one who they say, hey, he's been with us the entire time. The twelve apostles were those that Jesus had set apart and sent out for a particular purpose, but they weren't the only apostles. They weren't the only of those who had existed and had seen Christ and all of these things. There was a, a large group of witnesses, and Jesus is speaking to these people, and he's saying, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will proclaim these things to the world around us. You are to tell them what you have seen. But watch. This is where we as Southern Baptists get messed up a whole lot, because they were to wait. You know, there's not many places in the New Testament where we're told to wait. We're told to go, we're told to do, we're told to listen or to act. But very rarely does, does, does God say to his people, wait. But watch. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now look, the gospel message is urgent. Because we believe as followers of Jesus, and what the apostles are going to say regularly is that Jesus is the only hope for the world. And yet Jesus says, hold up. Don't get going just yet. Wait. Wait. Why were they to wait? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, folks. The message was to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. It turns out this whole witnessing thing for Jesus needs to be done with power and with courage. And that power is not found in earthly wisdom or human strength. No, the power is found in the Holy Spirit. Some of you are fixing to have your minds blown. The disciples longed for power. Not spiritual power, but political power, right? They had just said, Jesus, is today the day that it's going to finally happen? And Jesus changes the subject. And he goes, oh, you're going to get power, but it ain't going to be what you think it's for. And this is where you should probably Google every once in a while. Maybe look at a website like blueletterbible.com and use some of the tools that exist right there because you'll, you would find a word that would jump off the page in the Greek language at you because he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my martyrs. See, that word witness is the same root word that we understand the word martyr. Those who bear witness to Christ and die for their faith Jesus said wait for the Holy Spirit you're going to be my witnesses but you're going to need more than you have you're going to need strength from on high in John chapter 14 as Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure Jesus says to his disciples words that I share at nearly every funeral and most of you are familiar with he says let not your hearts be troubled you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, 
then there you will be with me also. So we, we know those passages, but, you know, Thomas said, Jesus, we, we don't know the way. Do, do, do you have a map? Jesus, of course, says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And you all know that passage. But John 14 doesn't end with those verses. John 14 goes on. And John, John 14 and verse 15 says this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then verse 16 through 18, he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, you ready? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This was our family's verse of hope when we went through our adoption process. It's our word of promise to our children when we adopted them. But y'all, it's God's word of promise to us. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus is leaving his church. He's fixing to ascend to the right hand of the Father where he will rule and reign. And before he goes, he says, By the way, things are going to get pretty bad when I leave here. But you will not be alone. Do you see what Jesus is doing in Acts chapter 1? He's fulfilling his promise. Jesus knows what's going to happen in Acts chapter 6. Do you remember? Acts chapter 6 is the calling of the first deacons, which is beautiful. Acts chapter 6 is also the arresting of Stephen. Acts chapter 7 is Stephen's proclamation of Christ beginning in Genesis and making it all the way through his death, burial, and resurrection. And Peter's, Stephen's doing all right till he looks at those religious leaders and he goes, and you killed him! And it turns out that was sort of the thing he shouldn't have done. See, Jesus knows that Acts 6 is coming, that Stephen will be arrested. Jesus knows that Acts 7 is coming, that Stephen will be martyred. Stephen knows that Acts 8 is going to teach us about this guy named Paul who held their coats. And Jesus knows that in those verses, the church is scattered because of the persecution. And because Jesus knew that Acts 6 and 7 and 8 were on the way, Jesus made sure to prepare the church of Acts 1 by giving them the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 so that they would be empowered to be his witnesses. Jesus said you're going to be tested. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be tried. You're going to be killed for your faith. And you don't have the courage. And I can't be with you, but I will not leave you alone. I'm going to send the helper who will not only be around you, who will reside within you and will give you the courage and the power he said, wait for the Holy Spirit because when it comes, you, watch, will be my witnesses. You ever had somebody take you by the hand and tell you what you're going to do before you get it done? It's a lot of fun. It can be kind of scary, right? When somebody says, come on, let's do this. And you're like, ah, I know that you're going to do this. You ever been there? Maybe you've taken somebody else with you to do something like that. It's one of those things that we teach our children. We go with them the first time. I believe I told you all this story. Back in June, we were at a street fair with my family. And um, the kids wanted to ride some little rides, and that's fine. I, I don't have to ride those rides. And Sloan, my arch nemesis, um, if y'all don't know him, he's my eight-year-old. Um, he said, I want to ride that ride. And I said, well, that's cool. You can ride that ride. And Sloan goes to climb onto the ride. And the guy running the ride says, well, he's too small. He doesn't reach the, the little. And I said, buddy, you can't ride. He said, well, he can ride if somebody else will ride with him. Okay. So I turn around for my fearless older children who are tall. I say, hey, guys, Sloan needs somebody to ride. Y'all, they were like this. <laughs> I see the back of Wyatt's head. Aubrey shrunk. I don't even know how it happens. You know. Angela swore up and down. She went with four foot six. Y'all, this thing went upside down. And he just looked at me and said, Daddy, will you ride with me? I said, buddy, you don't have to do this all by yourself. Daddy will be there with you. 
And I climbed in. And I don't know, this thing is weird looking little rocket thing. And it just spins like this. And then it spins like this. And then it spins like this. And then it spins like this. And, and, and when you, you get in, it's not made for somebody that's six one two thirty. And I said, hey, buddy, how do you adjust this little bar? He said, you don't. Wham! I said, oh! I stumbled off of that ride when it was over. I turned all different shades. I look over, and Sloan's hair <laughs> is hanging, right? Because we're upside down. He says, is this what terror feels like? I said, yes, son. But because I, I went with him, he was able to accomplish that. Because I was there. Look, Jesus looks at his apostles, his disciples, his closest earthly friends. He didn't say you might do. No, you will be my How does he, How can he be so confident? Because Jesus knew what he was sending to them. Jesus knew what was on the way. They were going to be blown away. In ten days, when the Holy Spirit came upon them with tongues of fire, Peter didn't know that he had a sermon in him that would lead thousands to salvation, but Jesus knew what was coming. And so Jesus didn't say, maybe some things will work out and everything will be all right in the end. He said, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Folks, the mission of the church is to proclaim the message of Christ. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. We are to proclaim the message of Christ infused with power from the Holy Spirit. That's where the hope is. That's where the power is. That's why this morning when the Lord woke me up at 5 a.m. And I really believe it was him because, y'all, I don't get up at 5 all on my own. When I beat the alarm out of bed, I give Jesus all the credit or the blame, whichever one it seems. And I got up this morning and I immediately began to pray that the Spirit of God would move in this message. Because look, I got nothing to offer you except Christ and Him crucified. And I desperately need for the Holy Spirit to work. So this message will be powerful. He's sending His disciples out as sheep among the wolves. But he will not send them alone. Jesus knows all that's coming. And Jesus knows the same for us. We are to proclaim the message of Christ. But we can't forget the gift of Christ. The Holy Spirit that moves among us. So the church exists to fulfill Christ's mission. To proclaim the message of Christ. And then finally this morning to make disciples of Christ. Now look, we, we really got to be careful that we don't dissect all this as being all that separate. Okay, it all works together. It's got to all go together. But to some degree, we see this hinted at in verses 9 11. Jesus ascended to heaven. The disciples stood around looking up at the sky and they're just standing there like, wow, he's gone. And all of a sudden, these angels appear and they go, what are you looking at? Imagine they're like, well, he just, I don't know. We, we, that, that, that's kind of where they would have been, completely speechless. And they said, look, Jesus is gone. He'll come back one day. But don't stand around staring at the sky. you got work to do. We go back to Matthew chapter 28 and we are reminded. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Don't forget this. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. See, there's the discipleship process. How are disciples made? Folks, we've got to be careful that our idea, our concept of discipleship isn't too soft. Disciples are made with time and effort and proclamation. All that is necessary. You've got to spend time with somebody so they can teach them. You've got to spend time with somebody so they can be trained up. But watch, that's not it. Disciples are also made as we call for a response. Folks, if you're not encouraging people to grow and to change, then watch. They're not going to grow and to change. 
Simply being exposed to the message without being encouraged to obey the message is just not enough. What are you going to see over and over and over again in the book of Acts is this emphasis on preaching, 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 preaching. Everywhere you turn, you find a Christian preaching. It's not always, look, 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 it's, just keep in mind, it's not always the pastor doing the preaching. Okay, I'm using the word preaching, but you could, we could exchange it for proclaiming. There's this regular effort to proclaim the gospel message. But it's everywhere. They preach in the temple. They preach in synagogues. They preach in the marketplace. They preach in pagan places of worship, even among religious leaders and Roman rulers. They're proclaiming the gospel. Now, look, if all they did was speak about Jesus, everything would be all right. Do you want to know where they got themselves into trouble? It's when they took the step from Jesus is a really good guy to, oh, you must repent of your sin and trust Jesus because he is the only hope for salvation. See, they called for a response. The disciples actually assumed that Jesus' message is more than a lecture or a coffee shop conversation. They called for a decision. They call upon people to hear the message of Jesus, to take it seriously, and to repent of their sins and be saved. This is why discipleship requires time and effort. So I don't want to discount that. Because when we start to get real personal and talk directly to folks about their sin, if there is a relationship, people are often more inclined to hear that word, to receive that word, to digest that word. I had a relatively hard conversation with a pastor friend of mine. He wasn't in sin. It's nothing like that. But I've been praying and, 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 and watching and kind of working alongside him for a number of months now. And it's, it's, it's become apparent to me that there's this hole in his ministry. There's this blind spot that he just can't see. It's not even sin. It's just something that's just not being done. He could do better. I actually, uh, is Adam in here? I talked with Adam about it several months ago. I said, man, I, I'm praying about this because I think that, that this guy could just do this. This week, the opportunity presented itself, and I looked at him and I said, hey, man. I said, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm talking out of turn, but it's been on my, I've been burdened with it for a long time. I said, I really believe that you need to lead your church to do this. I think that this thing right here is what's holding you back. That was on Thursday. On Friday, I got to thinking, man, I, I bet I offended him. I mean, he didn't ask for my help. He didn't ask for my opinion. I just kind of legitimately walked up into his church, spent five minutes with him, said, I think you need to do this. And then I said, my lunch is getting cold in the truck. I got to go. I called him Friday. I said, hey, bud. I'm sorry. Did I offend you yesterday? I loved his response. He said, how would you have offended me? I said, man, I... I, I, I just spoke out of turn. I just said something to you. you know, are, are, is that, I, I don't know. He said, you're my friend, right? I said, brother, I, uh, yeah, of course. He said, how could I ever be offended if you come to me and you want to help me get better? How could that be offensive to me? Do you know something? The only way, let me tell you, I, I'm not a sweet human. Like My words don't always come out the way that I want them to come out very sharp. The only way that he was not offended by me is because he knows that I love him. I love him. I've spent time around him. I'll drive to where he is to take care of him. I love him. And because he knows that I can say hard things to him. And, and y'all, he can say hard things to me. I drove out of my way to go say that to him. Awkward, right? Folks, this is why the discipleship component requires time. This is why within our, our, our life groups, we do that, that life group fellowship at least four times a year that we legitimately cancel everything on a Sunday night so we can make sure there's nothing going on that would compete. And we encourage our life groups to go do something outside the walls of the church, something where they're just going to maybe eat a meal together, maybe do something fun so they can build some relationships. Because we believe that if, if there's going to be real discipleship that takes place, 
real hard conversations. There needs to be real relationships. But watch this. The relationships for it to be actual discipleship has got to be more than just we spent time together. We've got to shift the conversation at some point to hard things. This is what God's Word says. Are you obeying it? That's making disciples. What does the church exist to do, folks? If we're not making disciples of Jesus Christ, we should shut the doors and send the money to somebody who is. For goodness sakes, let me just be honest. If we're not proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of Jesus Christ, then we should just shut the doors and and send the money to some organization that's doing fun things in the community. We're not that fun. We can build a bowling alley and have a lot more fun unless we're about something more. Folks, I want you to know that the mission of the church... What time? Oh, it's not going to be quite an hour. We're going to make it. I want you to know that there's a lot of yelling today. I didn't mean to. It just fell out. I'm sorry. Folks, I I want you to know that the mission of the church really is simple. Like That's that's the thing. It's, It's really simple. Go and make disciples by proclaiming the good news of Jesus and calling others to repent of their sin. That's... That's it. Like it's, it's really, really simple. The mission is simple, but we often muddy the water. Do you know why we muddy the water? Because calling people to make a decision for Christ is uncomfortable. We muddy the water because sometimes we just like to make it more complicated than it is. Kevin was in my office this week. I said, hey, buddy, I was thinking that we ought to do something else with this particular area of our ministry. And I lay out this big thing and I show it to him and he, he smiles. They, they do that around here a lot. I talk a lot, and they just kind of smile. Um, and if I, if, if I bring it up three or four times, then, then we actually do it. But I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an external processor, so like I just talk things out. And every once in a while, somebody, um, uh, Mike Barwick was in the office a few weeks ago. I said, hey, you don't get paid here. How about come in my office? I need to talk through something with you. And he looked at me like I'd lost my mind. I said, it's a real blessing to everybody else in the office that you were here to listen to this, and nobody else had to go through it with me. Um, and so I walked through this whole thing, and Kevin said, that, that's, that's, that's nice, but it's what we're doing broken. I said, well, I just thought this might be better. He said, well, it's, it's more complicated than what we're already doing. It would take more time. Do you think it would help us? I said, well, it looks nice. I think it would be better. And I looked up, and I said, it would just be more complicated. I said, you know what? Maybe, maybe simple works. It's working. We just have this tendency, the world is moving towards complexity. Second law of thermodynamics, right? Everything's moving into entropy, into complexity, into confusion, into chaos. Why? Because it's tainted by sin. Kevin talked about this last week. The day will come when the world is no longer moving toward chaos, but it's moving toward conformity to Christ. We muddy the waters. We make it complicated. Folks, telling people about Jesus is easy. Calling people to follow Jesus, though, is hard. Calling people to turn from their sin and being willing to to name sin can be scary and costly, but it is the only way in Acts 4. We're coming toward the end, okay? Work with me. In Acts 4, we're going to read about Peter and John being arrested. They're going to be brought before the rulers, the elders, and scribes in Jerusalem. They're, They're arrested because they're teaching about Jesus. And when they were questioned by the, the, the council, that is the elders and scribes and religious rulers in Jerusalem, they, they, they refused to allow their trial to be an academic exercise. Watch. Rather than simply defending themselves, they saw this as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Now remember, they're on trial because they're talking about Jesus. And what they do is they turn it up a notch. And they say this. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. Wow. Hey, you're here because you won't quit talking about Jesus. They say, eh, you know, that's right. But here's the reason. There is no other hope. See, the mission of the church is to proclaim that one hope. The mission of the church is to fulfill Christ's mission, to proclaim Christ's message, and to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And throughout the 
this sermon series in Acts, we're going to regularly be reminded of that. But, in conclusion this morning, as we conclude this beginning message in the book of Acts, I, I don't want you to only be convinced of the mission of the church. I want to fulfill as best I can the mission of the church. The apostles looked at those who were holding them accountable for their actions and they said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by men, which are by, given by which we must be saved. Those are scary, hard words. What would have given them such courage? Watch. They had seen Jesus alive, crucified, dead, buried, and risen. They were one. 100% convinced. They were 100% sure. They knew the truth. They knew others had only one chance. Only one hope. And so in an effort this morning to not only preach about the mission of the church, but to seek to fulfill the mission of the church, I want to say to you all gathered here today, there is one hope. There's one chance. There is one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. You see, it's, it's my privilege and responsibility as a follower of Jesus to not only speak about Him, but to urge you to follow Him. We have a lot of people here this morning. We have a lot of guests here this morning. We have a lot of regulars here this morning. And with this many people gathered in this room today, I'm pretty confident that there's at least a few of you who came in here today, and you continue to have hope that there's some other way. That when you think about eternity... You're hoping that maybe you'll get there and you'll say, well, God, I did some good things. You're hoping that maybe one day you'll die and, and you'll say, well, I, I, I went to church. I spent some time there. Some of you have even bought some lies of the world and, and you believe that there's all sorts of different ways to get to heaven. And you're going to get there and you're going to say, well, I, I did a couple of things just to check all the boxes. I spent some time at the church. I, I studied Buddhism. You know what, I even bought some of those crystals because I thought maybe just, just to make sure I got all my, my bases covered. Folks, listen to me. There is one hope, and that hope is Jesus Christ. And the sin that you are clinging to is sin whether it feels that way to you or not. You see, that's the hard part of proclaiming the gospel. The hard part of proclaiming the gospel is to speak honestly about the fact that what the Bible calls sin is sin. And our sin separates us from God. And because of our sin, we deserve punishment in a very real place called hell. But the hope that we have is that Jesus Christ died to bridge the gap between our sin in our God. To make it possible for us to be saved. See some of you walked in here today. Still hoping against hope. That maybe things are going to work out in the end. Peter and John looked at a bunch of religious rulers. And they said. Whatever it is that you've done. To try to convince yourself that you're okay before God is not enough. Because we've met the king. And He is the only way. Do you remember? Do you remember what He said right before He said, I won't leave you as orphans? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Pastor Kevin talked about this last week, that Jesus is the door in the wall of sin that separates us from God. And so this morning, I want to ask you today, 
if you stood in the presence of Jesus Christ and he asked you, why should I allow you into my heaven? What would your answer be? There's only one that opens the door into eternal life. That one is that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And I've given my life to Him. But I looked at my sin. At all of my sin. And I refused to justify my sin any longer. And I said, Lord God, this is sin. My sexual life is a sin. My thought life is a sin. My financial life is a sin. And Lord God, it felt good and I enjoyed the benefits of that for a while. But Lord God, I come today acknowledging Lord, that this sin has separated me from you. Today I want to be saved. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I look forward to teaching you working with you, walking you through the book of Acts over the next year and a half. But more than anything else, what I hope today is that you would worry less about the mission of the church. and You'd be concerned more about the state of your own soul. And if you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, in just a moment I'm going to stand down front and I want you to come forward because I would like to help you to understand how you can be saved. There's hope. The apostles could proclaim with boldness because they had seen Jesus and they were infused with power from the Holy Spirit. Folks, I can testify to you today that that same Jesus is alive. And the work that he began then, he seeks to complete in you. Let's pray together as we stand. Father God, I pray that you would work to draw people to yourself, God, as we consider the truths of your word from the book of Acts, the hope wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that you would work among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.